0: after I preached last night Rick came up to me and said uh, did you mean to give me the same title and scripture for tomorrow's sermon that you just preached from tonight and uh, I said yeah Uh, and I said look Rick I was drunk when I gave you that title (laughs) in those scriptures, all right? I'm aging, stuff gets confused. Anyway, uh, I really appreciate Rick for pointing that out to me. Uh, Well, I suggested last evening to those who come to the preaching conference, those pastors that. The reason they were there was, whether they knew it or not, was rallying around the question, how do you keep that ministry? Christian ministry is a demanding vocation. And you seminarians preparing for and just starting out in your ministries, uh, I suggest to you that's your assignment while you're here to get enough stuff to keep you at a very a peculiarly demanding vocation for the rest of your life. It isn't easy. Uh, how, How do you do that? Thus I take you to this morning's gospel. Story of the nocturnal visit of Nicodemus to Jesus. Nicodemus is identified as a Ruler of the Jews. He is a synagogue official. A member of the... Surely of the Sanhedrin. What Right up there at the top... Uh, of the ecclesiastical bureaucracy. He is a ruler of the Jews. He's in charge of spiritual matters... There in the synagogue. And he comes to Jesus by night... You know, in the Gospel of John, these details, particularly that expression, by night, it was night, it's fraught with meaning. Why does he come to Jesus at night? Why couldn't he get everything he needed from Jesus during the day? Well, maybe he doesn't want anybody to see him coming to this uneducated, uncredentialed rabbi, this wandering, itinerant rabbi, coming to him at night. He you know he's got a reputation here he can't be seen as weak or as somebody that that doesn't have the answers after all that's what religious leaders are sort of paid to do to have the answers that's why you're in seminary to get the answers people come to us with their questions and we give them the officially sanctioned answer so nicodemus goes there by night to jesus And you can tell he's a ruler. You can tell he's in charge because he comes to Jesus, um, first of all, talking about what he knows before he asks Jesus what he knows. We know, now we know, we have done an investigation and we know that uh, you must be a prophet sent from God because nobody can do what you've done except, and we know and, and, uh. In the middle of his exposition and all that he knows, Jesus blurts out, You gotta be born again. And he says, Born again? How could you do that when you're old and go back in your mama's womb and come back out and be? He said, Turn up your hearing aid. I didn't say again, I said Anothen. You gotta be born from above. You gotta be born from top to bottom, from heaven down. Upside down. Well, how? Hey, the wind blows where it will. Nicodemus, are you using pneuma in the kind of general sense of like wind, or in the more specifically spiritual sense of like spirit? And Jesus says, "Right." <laughs> and what? How, how? What? How can this? And smart, know-it-all Nicodemus, in just a few verses, rendered into this babbling. Well, how? What? How we? What? How can that happen? What? But here's the thing I'd like you to fasten on this morning in this rich story, and that is that Jesus says to Nicodemus, "You must be born. I know, then, you must be born from above." Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, these fishermen, tax collectors, follow me. Jesus is confronted by a a rich man. And he says to him, go, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, come back, and you could be my disciple. Uh, He said to the woman taken in adultery, you Go you sin no more. He said to the man that he healed uh, from the demons. You go home and you tell everybody what God's done for you. But only to Nicodemus did he say, you must be born from above. He doesn't say that to anybody else. Just this one person, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a synagogue ruler, an ecclesiastical bureaucrat, an official, somebody who's in charge of God's kingdom stuff, me. The only person Jesus looked at and said, you know, I... I, I've never seen anybody that needed to be shoved back through the birth canal and born. Uh, I've never seen anybody need to get ripped up by the pneuma than somebody like you. The only person Jesus said to be born again, to be born anew, to be born from above, is somebody who looks like me. Somebody who's in charge of something. Somebody who's an official. Of the church. Uh, isn't that interesting? And I want you to listen up because. Just about everybody here. Is either currently. An official of the church. A ruler of the Christians. Or preparing to be one. And it was only to people like us. That he said you must be Born from above. And that's, uh, that's a challenging word because, look, we're clergy. And what do clergy do? Well, clergy, uh, uh, we, we tend to pacify people and keep everybody, you know, settle down, settle down, quit throwing things, settle down. Uh, we tend to be good at stabilization, good at continuity, Good at it, it kind of. You come to church to kind of settle. I know you have an anxious, demanding life, but you come to church and we, we just kind of have this peaceful place. There's uh, a sweet, sweet spirit uh, here that will uh, tone you down some. I remember when I was in seminary, James Dittis taught pastoral counseling at my seminary, told us about research he had done. On the personality types who come into the ministry. And uh, from interviewing hundreds of seminarians and all, and he came up with a theory that he called the little adult. The little adult. And his theory was that a very high percentage of us come into the ministry as little adults. We grew up, we weren't really children like other children. Uh, We were like little adults. Uh, We were the ones that uh, the teacher left in charge of the class to take names when the teacher had to go down the principal's office. We were the one that was on the school patrol. Uh, We were the ones that we were only elected to class office if those elections were done on the basis of people the other students respected. But we were never elected if the elections were on the basis of popularity or people they liked. The little adult. And you see, his thesis was that the, these people that just enjoy enforcing adult rules as kids, uh, when we grow up, we get to enforce the big adult's rules with all these wayward adults. The little adult. It was kind of devastating because for most of us there, it It fit. When I travel, as I did yesterday, I got to the motel room. I I got out my shaving materials and toothbrush and toothpaste and put everything out there, just like it is at home. Because you know, when you're on the road, it can be kind of disruptive and all. And it's just good to have a few things in place. When you stagger out of bed in the morning, everything is right there in its place. Uh, I think we, we put a high value on that. I noticed in dealing with churches uh pastors secretly want for this place to be transformed they want for this dying church to be on the move again and to start growing but they just don't want to hurt anybody doing it uh they want to do it in such a way that we can fully honor the past and all those dear people who came before us and still not be enslaved to those people and move forward and uh, it's very difficult, but we're clergy. We, we just hope there's some way to kind of bring it all along and without too much disruption. Got a friend, and he is an Episcopal priest, and he decided to have a midlife crisis. And so to go, and the, the only, you know, way to do that uh, is to go buy a motorcycle, and uh, so he went to this motorcycle place and he was te- he the so the salesman's saying oh this baby here it's it's unbelievable said this, this little baby here can outrun anything on the highway I tell you uh, we're looking at 0 to 80 and I don't know 2 3 seconds it's just amazing and then the salesman said uh, what do you do for a living and my friend replied well I'm I'm a pastor, I'm an Episcopal priest. And suddenly the salesman said, Hey, uh, this is a very, very safe motorcycle. <laughs> there is no way you could get hurt on this motorcycle. <laughs> Jesus, in the Gospels, curiously, is represented as peripatetic he never stays anywhere long. He is always on the move. And thus, it's, it's not that weird to hear Jesus say to this established, powerful church official, you you got to get out of here. you to—you got to move. you got to be born from above. And the wind blows where it wills. Uh... I think one of the biggest mistakes you can make here at seminary is to think that you work hard in seminary and you do the assignments and all, and that, that you got it. And I got out of seminary, I went to a great seminary, I got the stuff, I got it. And I'm going to go out and deliver that stuff in my first church. And I'm going to kind of fine-tune it, then I'll deliver that stuff in my next church and uh, and the next and the next. And, uh, because I got my degree and and I got the stuff. Well, unfortunately, this isn't the law school where you can get away with that kind of stuff. Uh, (laughs) we serve a living God, okay? A God whose nature it is to be in motion, on the road, on the move, uh, In my current job, Uh, here, late in life, I get called to a ministry, the episcopacy, a job for which I had very little experience and no talent. And that means that every day in my new job, I have to ask for help. I walk in there and you know, they say, you know, Bishop, it bothers us. You've never been a district superintendent even. And and now you're the bishop and running all this? I said, that's only one of my virtues. Uh, I, I, you know, and, and I tell you, maybe this is just me justifying myself, but th- there's a lot to be said for experience and knowledge. And there's a lot to be said for stupidity, too. <laughs> because... My first year or so, I was just wandering around saying, hey, show show me how you do this. How do you all normally make these decisions? How do you do this? And then they would explain it to me. We do that. We do that. And I would say, that's the dumbest thing I ever saw in my life. (laughs) Are you getting the results you want from that? Are you happy with what you got? Would you like to think about something else? Uh, Something different? and it bothers me now that I've been in this job for like six years, I note that I'm asking fewer questions. I I note that I I have fewer days when I am utterly dumbfounded. I'm starting to think I know something. I'm I'm starting to really get a kind of coherent plan together. And I think, therefore, I am less valuable to a moribund, decaying organization than I was when I was stupid my wife and I have noted in a weird sense we feel younger now in our marriage in our lives than we did 20 years ago what's that about well I think now Sunday morning going out to a little church together uh, and I said you know this this is kind of like us in the first days of our ministry, going out to some dead little church out in the wilderness. And, uh, yeah, maybe that's why we feel young. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, I think I feel younger because I'm, I've been moved by my vocation out of my comfort zone. I've been moved away from that world that I had learned how to work pretty well to my advantage I've been moved out there away from people who are just like me and think like me and got where they are the same way as I got there. And uh, I feel like I'm like 22 again. And and I'm out of my first little parish in Georgia. And I'm looking there thinking, who are you people? (laughs) What is this? Uh, And thus I feel sort of, born again. Uh, it's very important for a leader of any organization, but maybe particularly particular the church, to be supple, to be adaptive, adaptive leadership that doesn't just arrive with a bunch of ironclad principles. This is the way I do it. work for me the last place. I'm sure to work here. This is what I tend to enjoy. This is what uh, you got to adapt. We're called servant leaders. We've got to we've got to somehow uh, serve in such a way that we give the leadership needed by this church at this time in this place. Uh, and and. I think, at least in my church family, we put way too much stress on continuity and stability and seniority and, and all that, the virtues that old people just love because uh, they work to our advantage. And uh, <laughs> what we need now is adaptability and movement and innovation and uh, change and throwing out and starting over and all. That, that's a good principle of leadership. And yet, uh, for pastors, you know, if, if you can find a book that's got great principles for how to lead a church, surefire, knockdown, no-fail principles for how to lead a church, my advice to you is you go worship those principles and don't fool with Jesus Christ, okay? Because... Uh, it, it'll be easier that way. Uh, we don't worship a principle of good leadership. We don't worship. We, we worship Jesus, who is alive and on the move and constantly surprising us with what he says. Uh, and he looks at Nicodemus and says, you know, I, uh, I don't know when I've been around anybody who knows so damn much since you're such a ruler and all, uh, you, you need to be born again about as bad as anybody I've ever seen. <laughs> you, you can't do this unless you're born from above. And it's, therefore, one of the great things I love about being a pastor is that if you're going to be a faithful pastor, you've got to keep reinventing yourself and reaching out for help and asking questions and being surprised by who God sends you to help you do this work in this time and this place, different from the people at the last place. It, it can be great. I got, as a bishop, what, what I do is I sit in my office and I get letters. Uh, letters from laity complaining about you and the <laughs> clergy. And uh, I got this letter and said, our pastor has been seen at a bar down there next to the church. And I thought of the pastor, kind of harmless, kind of older guy. I just kind of surprised at this. And I said, well, I can certainly understand, you know, as a pastor, having a drinking problem. Uh, Laughter you, you people are a good rationale for that. Uh, but I called the pastor and I said, hey, I got this letter from a layperson. It says you've been seen at this a couple of times down in this bar down near the church. What is this? And he said, well, it's not just cup times. I'm used to down there every Thursday and Friday and, and most Saturdays. I said, at a bar, we're Methodist. You know, you can't do that. You, the lady don't know how to take this. Pastor down there in a bar, what are you doing in that bar? I said, Bishop, have you looked at our numbers? This church has been in precipitous decline for 20 years. I know why I was sent here was to close it. Uh, if you notice this year, we've had more professions of faith this year than we've had in the last 10 years combined 18 people brought to Christ, and uh, 10 of those people I met in that bar. It, they thought God was mad at them until uh, they heard about Wesleyan Christianity. And, uh, and uh, I'm going to baptize uh, uh, an, another couple Sunday, uh, him and his partner, that I met in that bar. I said, wow, um, you know, have you, have you always enjoyed working with uh, people of alternative lifestyles? And he said, uh, no, I, I really can't stand them. And uh, he said, you know, those, those guys really make me really uncomfortable. I don't like some of the stuff they're into and I own some of the stuff they're doing. And I said, really? Well, that kind of makes all the more amazing that you're hanging out at this bar so much. And he said, look, Bishop, if you can figure out a way to keep Jesus Christ out of that bar, I'll stay out of that bar. I said, thank you. Uh, uh, how is it possible to stay at ministry? What do you got to have to make it? Well, in a fundamental sense, that's not your problem. The spirit blows where it will. That's your hope. And when you're working with Jesus, you never get so smart and so old and so fixed and so sure what you're doing that you might not just get born from above when you're least expecting it. Uh, Jesus Christ is on the move. And we can't worship him unless we're willing to go with him. Uh, I was at a large church a while back, pastors on the verge of retirement and uh, I went to the early service, the contemporary service their fastest growing service got in there, 500 people in there mostly young families and everything and there's Don uh, Don who's about my age and Don's sitting on a stool and uh, got on a like a sweater and uh, And uh, Don's up there, and he's preaching, and he's talking about a text. And he said, uh, this is what I think this text is about. Take a look. And there was a film clip cut right into the sermon. Then Don talked a little more, walked around, kind of looked like a really old Shane Claiborne kind of thing going there. (laughs) And uh, I'm just amazed. And then, you know, Don ends... And, and uh, he says, and this is, this is it. And he points back on the screen. Here another two, three-minute film clip comes up. And then it ends. And Don says, you want a new life? Come on forward. After it's over, I said to Don, I said, wow, that was amazing. How did you learn to do that? And he said, uh, well, I just, uh, I, I went, some people taught me how to kind of deliver a sermon in that way. And I said, wow, you are good. That, that's just amazing. That, that was so well done. I must take you hours to get that together. And he said, yeah, it does. I have to spend a lot more time on it than I did with the traditional sermons. And I said, well, you just, you're so at ease in it. And you're so good at it. And he said, Bishop, I hate doing that. I can't stand those stupid film clips. And I said, really? And he said, I've watched more trashy movies than I can count to get those film clips. I can't stand it. I said, really? And he said, but, you know, this has become the door to our church, that service, and we're receiving more people and younger people in that service than anywhere. So, Durnham... They respond to it, so I, you know, what can I do? i gotta, I got to do it. i got to, you know, I'm just too old to be out here in blue jeans. And uh, <laughs> I said, well, Don, I, you are really good. You're, you, you really, uh, wow, and you didn't even know you had a talent for that. And he looked at me and he said, hey, <laughs> you know, the wind blows where it will. Amen.